Hey there, Five Things listener. Our friends at T-Mobile Stories want to tell you about a podcast from Emmy Award-winning broadcast journalist Shauna Ryan and veteran writer and editor Jason Adams. It's the Mobile Diaries podcast. Every other Thursday, Jason and Shauna dive into the modern digital life and the mobile technology that makes it possible. They cover everything from the digital nomads who are living their best lives untethered to the emergence of mobile mental health care and the evolution of dating due to the pandemic. It's an insightful look at what it means to live a life of mobile mindfulness. Listen to Mobile Diaries wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the five things this week in social. Each week we dig into five stories from the social apps you love to give you a snapshot of what you need to know and say, I heard it on the five things and you don't even have to give us credit. We want to start this episode out with some news about the show. First, the great news. If you haven't heard, this show, The Five Things, This Week in Social, was awarded Adweek's 2022 Best Agency Hosted Podcast. It's a huge honor, and we are humbled and excited to be recognized along some of the best podcasts out there. Thank you. Okay, now on to some sad news, at least for us. This is Tommy Boyce's last episode of The Five Things, as he leaves Gray to embark on his next adventure. Of course, Tommy is here with us. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Joey. Starting on a sad note. I know. So in your time on the podcast, what is your fondest memory? Oh, wow. I think my fondest memory was I loved last fall, almost a year ago now, really diving into the Facebook papers and the whistleblower scandal. That was a really great moment where social media became news in a way that it normally isn't. I mean, we do a lot of platform updates and things that are interesting to us in the space, social space, but this was front page New York Times news. And that was exciting to see that sort of intersect. And of course we have our resident emerging tech expert, Amanda Davis. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Joey. Hi, Tommy. Amanda, what is your fondest Tommy memory on the show? My fondest memory, what I will take away the most, is Tommy's contribution to the language that we use. Um, I think over the years, the um, the blank of it all, the Elon of it all, is his his, his most famous one. Um, stream artist, if there is a word that triggers um, a specific album that he loves. The added application of famously as an homage to our dear agency. Um, your impact is very much felt here. Yes. And I'm Joey Scarillo, and I will never forget when Tommy crushed it hosting the Pride episode back in June. You were great. It was fabulous. I'm so glad for you. Okay. Enough gushy stuff about Tommy. Let's get into the five things. First up, Tommy gets into Snapchat's paid subscription. Spoiler alert, it's a hit. Then Amanda provides us with the latest Elon Musk Twitter update. Third, and this is the last time I get to say this, Tommy talks TikTok and tells us about their text AI generator. Then Amanda breaks down Reddit's partnership with FTX. And finally, Tommy takes us home with Meta launching a new Reels feature. All right, team, let's get into it. Tommy, tell us about Snapchat's paid subscription. Yeah, so in some news that surprised me, Snapchat is having a lovely go of it with its paid subscription service. The company says over 1 million users have joined the paid Snapchat Plus service since launching it in late June. As a reminder, Snapchat Plus gives users early and exclusive access to features for $3.99 a month, including seeing who rewatched your story and the ability to use Snapchat for desktop 
to their subscribers. The platform also announced a new set of features that will be released for the service, like priority story replies, which make plus subscribers' responses more visible when replying to Snap stars, public figures and other creators with a verified Snapchat presence. And other features are, you know, cosmetic, like special backgrounds for users' Bitmoji characters and new app icon designs. Subscribers will also be able to add an emoji that displays to friends after they viewed a Snap. So I'm, I said earlier, I'm surprised that Snapchat has been able to achieve this much success in only, it's been about like six weeks or so, but it does make sense thinking about it. I mean, people use Snapchat to communicate and see their friends' intimate experiences. It's a very much one-on-one experience. We talked about how Snapchat is where people feel happiest on the social internet. And so I think that these features facilitate that experience on Snapchat. And I also think really importantly, Being able to use Snapchat on a desktop is a huge bonus. It's very desirable. And I'm sure there are, well, not that I'm sure, there are millions of people out there who are willing to pay the $4 a month to get that extra addition. I think if Snapchat keeps buffing out its feature like this way, they're going to see even more success. I think the way that they've been able to go about this is supporting ways in which people already use the app. They're leaning into user behavior. And because of it, it's become a success. So I think going on this route, figure out how to best make Snapchat the place where people have one-on-one real moments and interactions with their friends will set it up to be a greater success. I'm curious, you know, why we think this move happened. Amanda, is there is there a business case for moving to desktop and a paid subscription model? Yeah, I think Snapchat has their finger on the pulse of how people are going to start using their apps a little bit more naturally than perhaps they're using things like Instagram and Facebook. To Tommy's point, it's really not a surprise that when you take the features that people want to see, put them behind a really low price paywall. $3.99 is, is pretty low compared to when you think about your 9 to $14 subscriptions on other platforms. 399 is almost a microtransaction in that that case too. So putting the things that people are actively asking for and actively using behind this paywall that's really accessible to people, you're you're going to see success and you're going to see a different business model rather than the advertising model or the app download model. So they're, they're smart to go about it this way. And I think also adding in more features as the subscription service exists will help them test and learn what is important to users, what people will pay for and what people won't. So it's more of an evolving service versus kind of a set it and forget it. Yeah, well, we will see where that goes. It should be very interesting. All right, let's move on to a story we have been talking about what feels like forever, but there is the latest and greatest. Amanda, tell us about the Elon V Twitter saga. All right, some more updates in the Elon of it all, as Tommy would say. So this week, there's been some new tweets made around the legal battle between Twitter and Elon Musk's purchase of the platform. Most recently, he was interviewed about the deal where he actually suggested that the lowest estimate of fake accounts on the platform is something like 20% or higher. And this is a big deal. This has been kind of the basis of what the back and forth between Twitter and Elon has been formed on in that he doesn't feel that Twitter was true to him and transparent with him about how many fake accounts were made on the platform. So he does do this interview um, and makes some claims that he doesn't necessarily cite sources for, which can be a little bit irresponsible. But some of the specific quotes that he mentioned is that his concern is that this is not a matter of these being five or seven or eight percent of users, but potentially 
80 or 90% of the users being bots. So that's a huge um, claim. He does not cite a source for it. He does not um, give any more detail around how he came to that estimate. He also references that he has the most popular tweet of any human about putting drugs back in Coca-Cola and uses this as an example to say, if the platform has 217 million active users, why does this tweet only have two and a half percent of that base liking it? Bit of a silly use of math because obviously the answer could just be that people didn't think it was that funny. But he is using it as an example of how there are a lot more bots on the platform. There are a lot more non-human accounts on the platform. And thus that Twitter has defrauded him and he wants to use that as a reason to back out of the deal. So this is a pretty long interview. He says a lot of different claims around the bot usage and about some other pieces of the deal. I think what's really interesting to note is that to be able to back out of the deal, his lawyers have to prove that Twitter defrauded him to get out of the contract that he signed. This is interesting from a legal perspective, although I'm not a lawyer. This is interesting because this interview basically says that everyone knew that Twitter was full of bots, full of fake accounts. And this was very obvious, which is obviously the opposite of being defrauded by Twitter in which you got a rug pull and maybe perhaps didn't know what the situation was of bots on the platform. So there is a world in which maybe Twitter's lawyers could use this interview against him to say, you absolutely did know this. Alternately, this week, Twitter's lawsuit also alleges that Elon has been inaccurate or perhaps unclear about the way that he's obligated to actually pay for the deal. Elon's tweeted a lot about how he's had to sell Tesla stock, a total of $15 billion in Tesla stock, that he claims he only sold to make sure that the Twitter deal could be funded correctly. And this is different than how he originally was obligated to pay for the deal and perhaps another problem um, that would make him liable for the purchase or at least to pay for part of the damages incurred by Twitter. Lastly, the last update this week in this drama, um, Musk has claimed that he wants the names of the Twitter employees that were specifically involved in the bot counts. This is a little bit controversial. Um, Musk generally, you know, criticizes Twitter employees pretty publicly, and this can lead to things like doxing, bullying, etc. So this is a bit of a a reach to try to get some of these names um, for Elon to perhaps tweet at or talk about. And a lot of people are seeing this as an example that he's kind of at the end of his possible um, exit from the deal. A lot of drama. I feel like this is a lifetime movie that we are watching unfold before us, but all to say more to come in this evolving case, but that's the latest. I remember one of the last updates we had said that Twitter was trying to force him to still buy Twitter or own a piece of it. Is that still accurate or have they backed off of that? So they, it's unclear whether they necessarily want Elon to complete the deal, but they definitely do want him to pay for the time, damages, um, misinformation, some of the other impacts that this deal has had, even if he doesn't end up ultimately purchasing the platform. So it's very unlikely that he gets out of this without paying either a fee to Twitter or needing to actually purchase the platform. Either way, it's going to be a lot of money out of Elon's pocket to Twitter. Tommy, does anybody come out of this a winner? That's the $64,000 question, I think. At this point, Twitter, at the end of the day, probably is going to walk out of this with a pretty hefty fee from Musk. Um, I saw a number, I think, in the article where 
Musk sold 15 billion of Tesla stock, and they think that would be an equivalent payoff to give Twitter for dragging them through this whole, you know, rigmarole. But also you have to consider the way that Twitter has been dragged through the mud. I mean, their most prominent user constantly beating them over the head of the fact that 95% of their user base is bots is not a great reflection on the platform. And this is a case where something I believe that not all press is good press. This negative press is not helping Twitter. We've seen advertisers start to move off of the platform. We've seen people criticize the platform. Who are you know? Musk stands, things like that. And so it's very likely that Musk walks out of this at a material loss. I'm sure he'll live to tweet another day. This man always just keeps coming back around. We can't get rid of him. And even though Twitter would walk off with this gain still being independent, which I think at this point the platform probably wants to do, it still has this kind of smear to their brand equity. And so I think that this unfortunately is a rather a rather silly episode that is going to hurt both parties. So I don't think anyone's coming out of here a winner. I think maybe maybe we win. We got to talk about it, um, although we had to research it. So I think I think we all lost. <laughs> there is there is no good side to this. Well, if this story continues, we will continue to discuss it. But for now, Tommy, let's switch over and talk TikTok. Tell us about their AI generator. Yeah, Tommy talking TikTok. So we've been seeing this boom in the popularity of AI systems online, specifically ones that create images out of text inputs. Think of Dolly, which has seen a crazy reach on Twitter with people putting in the craziest kind of inputs. I saw one that was Nancy Pelosi as Saturn devouring his son at the famous Goya painting. It was hysterical. And so TikTok is looking to get into this party with their own text-to-image AI generator. The video platform recently added a new effect it calls AI green screen that allows users to type in a text prompt that the software will then generate as an image. The kicker is that the image can then be used as a background to a video, which is potentially a very useful tool for video creators. Now, the AI as of yet is not nearly as sophisticated as others, especially Dolly. It can only really create abstract objects as opposed to, you know, photorealistic images, things like that. But it's in early stages, so we'll see how TikTok can increase its capabilities and power. I think this is a really neat feature. I've already seen people using it. We've seen this adoption of AI and tech more and more throughout the past few months. And I think TikTok, knowing again how people use backgrounds and features and green screens, things like that that make the platform what it is, and tapping into this trend to allow users to do that video feature is just a really smart move. I think we're going to see a lot of people adopt it. I've already seen several videos of people using it. And I think it's a way to sort of even prep people for the future of AI tools and platforms, which I'm sure apps like TikTok and other social platforms will want to start including in the future for ways to increase engagement and ways that people take advantage of all the capabilities of the platform. So I'm excited to see how this feature will increase its capabilities in the future. You know, this is very interesting. And I think kudos to TikTok for making this happen. You know, what it really comes down to even more than this particular feature is just TikTok being on the pulse of what people are talking about. Amanda, can you imagine or think of any other app that's been on top of culture as much as TikTok? I think it's TikTok and and Snapchat, honestly, leading not only kind of the culture of how we are using these platforms, but the technology that's helping us do it both in different ways. TikTok obviously using, in this case, AI, Snapchat using things like augmented reality. 
in ways that the community can actually create content, create engaging experiences, can talk to other people. I think once you put some of these technology tools into the hands of makers, into the hands of the community, you start to see that snowball effect of how innovative they can get, different ways that they're used and applied, different ways that content is being created out of it. So I think those two platforms are are quite ahead of the curve in creating the technology and also letting it become an expression of creativity. Yeah. Well, again, kudos to TikTok. All right. Let's switch over to thing number four. I am so glad you are leading this one, Amanda, because I'm about to say something that I don't even know what I'm talking about. Reddit partnered with FTX, and I don't know what an FTX is, and you're going to tell me. All right, let's get into it. Let's rewind to a few weeks ago. We discussed Reddit's community points program when they launched these collectible blockchain-based avatars, which are NFTs without using the phrase NFTs. Um, And as a reminder, this is an evolution of a community points program that they rolled out in 2020, really intended to kind of reward users for interacting with the community. In this case, um, we discussed how these points are going to be displayed next to a Reddit user's name, and it actually, driven by the blockchain, helps them get access to community-specific memberships, allows them to vote on decisions on Reddit platforms. Um, It rewards creators that make content, and they can also send monetary tips to each other all through this community points program driven by the blockchain. So what's new this week is that Reddit users can now use FTX, which is a crypto exchange platform, to help manage their community points. This is a little bit of where the blockchain comes in. Instead of a traditional Web2 style membership program, this program being built on the blockchain means that these points are actually stored on the Ethereum blockchain and a user can access that through what's called their vault on Reddit. A vault is essentially a user's blockchain or crypto wallet that also holds this collectible NFT. So essentially, they have a crypto wallet that they can access on Reddit platforms. This is very helpful and very interesting as a functionality piece of the membership program, but perhaps isn't as accessible for people who aren't familiar with the blockchain, maybe don't already have a crypto wallet or know how to access it. So the situation that's happening right now is people might have this vault And they might want to transact on the blockchain, but they don't have the Ethereum that's needed to pay gas fees. So just to explain gas fees really quickly, anytime you transact um, on a blockchain, there's a little bit of energy that's needed to do so. That's your gas fee. And it needs to be paid in whatever that blockchain currency is, in this case, ETH for the Ethereum blockchain. So (laughs) hopefully I've still kept you guys tracking on what we're talking about. But for people to do anything with their points, they needed to pay this gas fee and they didn't really have a way to do that without knowing how to add Ethereum to their wallet. This integration basically creates what feels like a Web2 interface that allows people to exchange their fiat money or their currency that's native to their country, in our case, U.S. dollars. It allows you to take your U.S. dollars, convert it to ETH, cover those gas fee costs and do whatever you want to with your wallet on the platform. This means basically two things. One, it's a show of how many platforms, especially over the next year or two, are going to be updating their interfaces to have something that feels very Web2 friendly, something we're familiar with, something that might look like a PayPal um, or a Cash App or a Zelle, but in reality is really being executed with Web3 functionality and blockchain functionality. We're going to see a lot more of that. Two, speaks to the power of social channels 
in these communities. Um, this integration has been referenced as Reddit is kind of where the meme stock movement started. We saw integrations added on Twitter, Instagram, Meta recently, and really understanding that this is where people are having conversations around the future of the internet, the future of finance, the future of Web3. So just how important these platforms are to that movement is very clear in, in how they're getting involved and in, in what they're adding. Okay. Tommy, did you understand all of that? I got the bulk, I think. Amanda is, as always, fantastic at explaining this in a vernacular that anyone can understand. But luckily, you know, I've had I've had a good year or so on this pod of digesting these things. Yes. So I'm not even sure what question to ask other than, Amanda, do we feel like this is going to be easy for the users? That's the whole thing, Joey. And I think that people that use Reddit probably have a slightly more familiar experience with cryptocurrency, uh, with some of these Web3 platforms. But this is actually opening that door even more so that it takes down that barrier of entry to how they can interact with what would be a blockchain-based membership program. Last thing I'll say as it relates for brands is this is a huge conversation happening with brands. We saw Starbucks recently announced that it's going to shift its loyalty program to be NFT-based. I'm sure a lot more brands, I think Time Magazine announced that they're going to shift to a blockchain-based subscription service and things like that. So it's really just the tech functionality that we're talking about here. It can be called NFTs, blockchain, Web3, whatever words we want to use. But it's really just understanding how this technology allows us to do more with these programs that provides utility back and forth to the people supporting it. So if you're a Starbucks regular or if you're a Time subscriber, there are more ways that you can be rewarded for that because of this blockchain-based technology that these brands are adopting. Well, that's great. I think the more that brands adopt this technology, the more they're going to be user-friendly, the easier they'll be, and the more ubiquitous they'll be in society and not this like scary tech thing that you know the bros on Reddit are doing. Not to talk ill of the bros on Reddit for any reason, but all right, let's jump over to our fifth and final thing today. Tommy, tell us about Meta launching new Reels feature. Yes. So Meta is obviously going all in on short form content. We talk about it almost weekly, it feels like. And this week, they've added new updates for Reels on both Facebook and Instagram, including additional Reel insights, the expansion of the Add Your sticker and auto-created Reels clips. The main addition is the expansion of the Add Your sticker from Stories to Reels. So you'll now be able to post to Add Yours questions through Reels clips, while you'll also be able to view all the various video responses to any prompt in each app. It could be another way to spark engagement and lean into the more interactive nature of most short-form content. Think of things like stitches and duets on TikTok and how they circulate contents and trends. It invites people into something and allows them to participate in this moment in time and sharing your own feelings, thoughts, things like that. There's also the auto-created Facebook Reels, which, like it sounds, will allow users to automatically convert their archived stories into Reels clips. You'll soon see a new Create From Your Story Archive prompt in the Reels creation flow, which will then let you convert your stories into Reels clips. And this tool can provide another simple way for users and brands to create stories content off of video assets that they've already created to exist as a reel and be a part of the short form trend and moment we're seeing on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, Meta is also expanding some reels features that were previously only available in Instagram to Facebook as well. Cross-posting from Instagram to Facebook 
is now available to all Instagram users. Well, Meta also is expanding its remix option to Facebook Reels. So this is a lot to take in. There's even more that I couldn't touch on in this amount of time. And these new features are certainly going to help Meta on the way to getting users to create more short-form content. And we talked about how prominent Reels is becoming on both platforms. Reels content now makes up more than 20% of the time that people spend on Instagram, while video content overall makes up 50% of the time that people spend on Facebook. So the reasoning to get into this trend is sound. The issue is nowadays, we talk about this over and over, is launching it in a way that feels organic and retains the parts of what people like about Instagram and Facebook, which we talked earlier about how Snapchat is doing that well through its paid subscription service. It's Meta trying to take advantage of this moment in time without diluting their brand in this move towards short form videos. So we'll have to see how they embark on this long-term journey as a way to compete with TikTok and carve out their own space in this field. And I'm sure we'll see even more features for brands and marketers to take advantage of pop up on Meta and Instagram in the future. So Amanda, do we think that this is, again, another feature that is tying it closer to TikTok or trying to beat TikTok? Or is this Reels kind of doing their own thing, staying in their own lane? I feel like this is a bit of a mashup of everything. Um, I'm not sure how effective it will be. We talked last week about how the Kardashians and other Instagram fans and influencers are really adamant about Instagram still focusing on um, static content not necessarily needing to prioritize video content. And I can speak personally, I posted something that was a bunch of static photos and I got prompted, hey, do you want to make this a reel? And I thought, no, I absolutely don't. These are a bunch of static photos. Why would I do that? So I, I think the ideas are that they're trying to do both, maintain the core image-based history of Instagram while also trying to create a platform for video creators. And those two things might not work soundly together in the way that they're trying to to kind of mesh everything into one. They're trying to make everybody happy. And I don't know if that is the right way to approach it. Well, if you try to make everybody happy, could end up making nobody happy. All right. Um, well, that does it for us this week. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, complaints, or send us a thing you want us to discuss. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank Amanda Davis. And one last time, thank you, Tommy Boyce, for joining us on the pod. As always, thanks to Danielle Hunt and Amanda Fuentes, as well as the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. And finally, thank you, listener. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt, mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.